Let's begin with prayer, shall we? God, your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as we hear your word today and reflect on it, increase our faith for Jesus' sake. Amen. We are, as you've heard already this morning, in the uh, beginning of the Lenten season, and this is a time in the church year, the church calendar, uh, and the church calendar is all about uh, really telling the, the story of Jesus. It repeats the story every year, repetitions, the mother of learning. We are in that season of the year leading up to Jesus' um, suffering, his passion in Jerusalem, and so this season of Lent is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. The only time that I have journeyed from Galilee to Jerusalem was, uh, I don't even know how long ago it was now, three, four years ago with the Landons, and uh, the, the day that we journeyed from Galilee to Jerusalem, we were in an air-conditioned bus, a coach, and we needed it because it was over 100 degrees. That's not today. <laughs> Woke up to a rude awakening again this morning, but we are still in winter, aren't we? And if you noticed or if you heard in the scripture reading this morning, just one of those little details in John's gospel, it's winter in Jerusalem. And Jesus is in Jerusalem, uh, not for the last time, but near the end of, uh, this isn't his final coming to Jerusalem, but it's some months before his final uh, coming to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem in winter, and it is Hanukkah. It says the Feast of Dedication in the Scriptures, but that is Hanukkah. I don't know if Jesus uh, ever played spin the dreidel or uh, lit a menorah, but he was in Jerusalem for Hanukkah. That's where our scripture picks up this morning. And the passage, if you were listening closely, really sets up for us a contrast between uh, a, a people who believe and those who don't believe. The contrast is between the people that Jesus encounters in Jerusalem and uh, those living across the Jordan, which came in the last paragraph of the reading. In Jerusalem, Jesus found himself surrounded by skeptics and cynics, unbelievers. And we should not think of them as pagans or people who have wandered far from the truth or somehow been corrupted by the cultural influences around them. They knew Scripture. They were very religious, so zealous about their religion, in fact, that if they felt that they or it were threatened, they would get angry and sometimes even violent, and you hear that in the text. They press in on Jesus, and they are demanding answers, but not really wanting to know or understand the truth. The story does not end well. Uh, they are so full of rage and, uh, and, and anger at Jesus that they pick up stones to kill him. But he escapes their violent intentions this time. Jesus leaves Jerusalem. He crosses to the other side of the Jordan where he encounters people who are receptive, people who had been influenced by John the Baptist's ministry, as John said, in the early days. It been a few years prior to this that John was active in his ministry, and John's ministry was focused on repentance, on baptism, and pointing people to the coming Messiah. John's ministry had created space for faith to come flooding in to people's hearts. John tells us that in that place, many people came to Jesus and believed in him. And so there's this contrast in our passage this morning, uh, the contrast of belief versus unbelief, rejection versus reception, uh, a closed-mindedness versus openness to God. 
I almost want to say doubt versus faith, but I don't want to pit those against each other because doubt doesn't preclude faith. There's, both can be operative in us. If you can prove something beyond a shadow of a doubt, then you don't need faith, right? So doubt will always be some element alongside of faith. The Bible declares, though, it defines what faith is. It says faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Again, it's not something that can be proved, but it rests in what has been promised. Okay? And the most honest prayer, I think, that in all of Scripture, the most honest prayer is this. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think it's the most honest prayer in all of Scripture. Faith is the essential beginning point of journey with God. Scripture says without faith it is impossible to please God. Now rarely does God call us to have blind faith. There is always some basis for faith. Even in the text today, in Jesus' conversation with the people in Jerusalem, he urges them to believe on the basis of the miracles that he is performing. He says to them, even if you can't believe in me, believe in God, believe that I am sent from God on the basis of the miracles that I am doing. Jesus was asking them to examine the evidence as well as his testimony. But they could not conceive of Jesus, a mere man, being God. Jesus says to them, and now I'm paraphrasing him in verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, is it such a stretch to imagine that I am God, that I am the Son of God? Is that such a stretch? Because don't your scriptures say uh, to you, to mere mortals, you are gods? And Jesus here is referencing Psalm 82, verse 6, where God says, I said that you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. So for Jesus to claim to be the Son of God, or even God, is not a far stretch. And so so Jesus is is reminding them of what Scripture says, and he's basically saying, sort of, get over it. Like, don't the Scriptures say that you are gods, and that you are sons of God? And so shouldn't shouldn't it be a far stretch to imagine that the one that God sends into the world, the Messiah, should be called God, or even the Son of God? But, of course, what Jesus was saying, they understood he was saying he was God, and so they accused him of blasphemy. A holy and righteous God, clothed in human flesh, was beyond their comprehension. I suppose it's beyond ours, too, but it is nevertheless true. So Jesus encounters in Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of Israel's spiritual life, Jesus encounters uh, tremendous unbelief. Their minds were closed, their their ears were deaf, their eyes were blind, their hearts hard. They did not recognize Jesus' voice because they did not belong to him. They stubbornly refused him, declaring, not my shepherd, not my savior. So Jesus left them to go over to the other side of the Jordan. Friends, pray that Jesus not leave you when you are slow to believe. Or your friends and family members who may not yet be there. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. As much as it depends on you, be open to God, attentive, seeking, pursuing the one who is already pursuing you. Don't assume anything, but be intentional. Lean into God. 
strain to hear his voice. Do the things that foster faith. Okay? Well, faith, as I said, is not, God doesn't ask us to have blind faith. Faith is not unreasonable. There's often evidence for it. There's a basis for it. It may be the word and the promises of God which are to be believed. It may be an experience of God or an inner knowing. It, it may be something natural or something supernatural. For example, a um, couple things. Our first Bible is not the book that we have in front of us. Our first Bible, first big book, first good book, is creation itself, which testifies to the existence of God, right? Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. He said, everyone knows from nature that there is a God so that all men are without excuse. So nature is evidence of God. And, and then there's the supernatural evidence, the miracles of Jesus he points to, but miracles that still happen today. But then there's also just sort of, if I can use the, the evidence for just the existence of Jesus, of Nazareth. How do I say this? Christ... You can hardly argue that Jesus Christ never lived any more than you, that you could argue that Abraham Lincoln never lived. Aside from uh, the testimony of Scripture and the witness of the church, there are historical, there's historical evidence outside of the church, outside of Scripture, if you will, of the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. Joseph, Joseph, uh, jo I'm sorry, Josephus, who's the, one of the most noted and respected historians of antiquity, writes about Jesus of Nazareth. Josephus lived not long after the time of Jesus. In fact, I think their lives, I didn't check, but I think their lives may have even overlapped. So Josephus writes of the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth and the impact that he had in Israel. He was writing from a Jewish perspective. He wasn't a Christian, but he writes of this Jesus of Nazareth. And so it, it takes no faith to believe that Jesus lived and died. It's, nearly un, it's a nearly undeniable historic fact. But proof of his existence does not prove that Jesus was the Son of God or that he died and rose again or that his life and death uh, takes care of our sins. Now, I can take you to where Lincoln is buried, Abraham Lincoln, but I can't take you to where Jesus is buried because the grave is empty. I've seen the tomb. I've been in the tomb that is thought to be the place where Jesus was buried. It's empty. Now, faith is sort of funny. No one can prove that the site of the tomb uh, was the one that Jesus was buried in. It seems to fit the historical criteria, but who knows for sure? And it doesn't really matter. What matters more is that I do believe that he rose from the dead, and wherever the tomb is, whether that is the one or not, the remains of Jesus of Nazareth are not there. The grave could not hold him. And everything in Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection. It's essential to our faith. It is an article of faith, but it is not blind faith. Again, aside from the testimony of Scripture and the witness of the church, which is compelling, there is substantial empirical evidence for the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Again, just one example is the fact that all of his disciples gave their lives proclaiming the good news of his life, the gospel, and his death and resurrection. Now, some people live a lie, but there aren't many people who are willing to die for a lie. So there's just that part of the evidence, but there's more than that as well. You often hear me quoting here from C.S. Lewis. He is one of my, my all-time favorite Christian writers. He's the 
probably the, the greatest Christian writer of the 20th century, at least one of the greatest. Before Lewis became a believer, he was at Oxford, and uh, um, he was with a group of colleagues, and they shared an interest in mythology, in ancient lore and legends. And one occasion, one evening, they were gathered in Oxford in, in one of their rooms, and and they got talking about um, the stories of ancient legend and lore and mythology of dying and rising gods. And that sort of led them to talk about Jesus of Nazareth and uh, his death and resurrection and how it sort of compared with some of those other stories. And uh, one of Lewis's friends, who he describes as the hardest-boiled atheist he ever knew, Remarked that the Christ event, however, reads not like mythology, it reads as a historical account. And then Lewis's friend said, seems as though the rum thing actually happened. And Lewis was alarmed when he heard that. It was the first time that he considered that perhaps the gospel is true and the claims of Christ are true and that if this is the Son of God and he died and he rose again, what does that mean? Now, Lewis didn't at that point have faith yet. He didn't even believe in God at that point yet. But it was part of his journey of coming to faith. It gave him pause. I didn't mean to spend so much time on the resurrection this morning because we are eventually going to get there, aren't we? Uh, we've got a long desert experience between now and Easter. Um, hopefully it won't feel like the desert, but it's a long journey between now and, and Easter. But I think it is important in this conversation around, around faith um, because ultimately, well, as Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so belief in the resurrection is important to our uh, our, our faith, our salvation. And let me say this, believe not just the historical fact, but its implications. We worship a God who has overcome death. We worship a God who has overcome death and who gives life to our mortal bodies. What we believe matters. More important than faith in facts or words or experiences or miracles or evidence is faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith is another word uh, for trust. Uh, I, I sort of wish, I, I shared this in the first service, I'm going to share it here too. I sort of wish I could do the sermon, I wish I could have a do-over this morning. And the reason is, is this. Uh, I, I get to the church early in the morning, 7.30, quarter to 8, and I go upstairs to the junior high room and I, and I, I practice my sermon, Okay. Well, the Bear Kids came running down the hallway, uh, Mathis and Charlotte, and they eventually came into the room. And uh, what are you doing? Practicing my sermon. Why don't you practice in the church? I said, because the band's practicing. And, uh, and so I, I thought, you know, I want to I make sure that I'm communicating clearly, so I decided to ask them, because today's on faith, the message is on faith today. I said, what, do you, what is faith? Now, Mathis is the older of the two. He's in fourth grade. I said, what's faith? And uh, they both kind of like, mm-hmm, you know, it's like, I know they know. I'm just waiting for a word to come out of them. And, and uh, you have to pardon me for doing this. But there's a table up there in the, in the junior high room. And so I got on the table. 
please don't be disturbed by this because it's more disturbing to me than it probably is to you to sit on a communion table. So um, anyway, so I sit on the table up there in the junior high room, and I said, I'm sitting on this table. I have faith. What does that mean? And uh, Mathis or Charlotte immediately said, oh, you trust that it's going to hold you up. I said, exactly. Now, what does it mean to have faith in God? They said, trust. And little Charlotte said, trusting that God's love won't break. Out of the mouth of babes, right? Trusting that God's love won't break. And I immediately thought of Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, where he says, nothing in all of creation, nothing in heaven and on earth, nothing good that you experience, nothing bad that you experience in life can separate you from God's love. When your faith is on God, His love cannot be broken. Isn't that amazing? That's faith, okay? So faith is a gift from God, and it is something that is to be nurtured and, and, and something that we're to care for, well for, to, to keep it growing. Um, when I pray to God, by faith I know that He hears me, and so I'm encouraged to pray. When I sin, I have faith that God forgives me for Jesus' sake. When I consider my ways, even my wandering heart, I am secure in the knowledge that what Jesus accomplished by his life, death, and resurrection is sufficient for me. If I am fearful that my faith is not adequate, my understanding skewed, my theology pushed to the edge of heresy, my life not quite perfect, my faith leans on Jesus and I trust that God's grace is sufficient for me. When I cry out to God in agony, in sorrow, in helplessness, or in loneliness, my faith reminds me that God is near and He cares. When I wrestle with life or when I wrestle with God, faith reminds me that I'm not going to (laughs) win. But it also reminds me that there is value in the contest. There's something to be gained in the contest. And likely there is something important to be lost as well. If circumstances in life threaten to undo me, or this troubled world robs me of peace, or I am staring at death, the loss of a loved one, or looking at my own end, I am assured by faith, founded in the word and the promises of God, that nothing can separate me from God or his love. God's love will not break. It will hold me up. I can count on him. That's faith. Faith is a journey. There is a beginning, of course, point of faith. It's what we call conversion. Uh, The preparation may be long, can be years in the making, the preparation before you actually come to faith, but then the journey is very short. It's a crossing over from death to life, from unbelief to faith. But then faith is intended to really take us somewhere. God will mature you in faith if you are walking with Him. Faith must be moving because God is moving. He called Abraham to leave home and to go to a place that He would show him. Abraham responded in faith. It's why we call him the father of our faith. Scripture says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham packed up his household and his belongings and his family, and he left home. His faith moved him, literally. 
moved him to leave home, even though he didn't know where he was going. Trusted God to guide him. And then there's Moses. God called Moses to leave the desert to go back to Egypt, where he would be God's instrument in leading Israel out of bondage. And then there's Jesus. Jesus left heaven and moved into the neighborhood so that he, through his life, death, and resurrection, might free us from the bondage of sin and death. God is always on the move, and he moves toward us, always initiating relationship with us, and he invites us to respond in faith. I suppose you could say it this way. God is always moving. He is moving toward you. The next move is on your part. Faith is not static. It doesn't stand still. It doesn't remain the same. It is meant to be stretched, exercised, and nurtured. Faith may begin as small as a mustard seed, but is intended to grow and mature and bear fruit. Moving or movement is often about taking us from a place of comfort and security to a new place that will stretch us, that will bring with it a new way of seeing and understanding and believing and living out this gospel. My faith is being lived out differently than it was when I first came to faith. We need to move in faith. Movement is the antithesis of being stationary, stuck, status quo, same old, same old. Movement implies a journey, more than a place of arrival, direction, more than a destination. It's progress or a process, much more than it is a place or perfection. John called his hearers to repent. John the Baptist has called his hearers to repent, which prepared them for that day when Jesus walked among them to receive him in faith. Jesus called his hearers also to repent. The word repent means to turn. It means to change. It means to reorient your life in some way. Friends, if change and growth are not programmed Listen to this carefully. If change and growth are not programmed intentionally into your spirituality, your religion will end up being, uh, will end up, you, you, your religion will end up worshiping the status quo. It will become your God. That was the trap that the religious people in Jerusalem had fallen into. They were clinging to the status quo. They could not imagine, they could not accept, they could not see, they could not understand that God was doing something new and that Jesus was sent of God. They were so locked in and so uh, protective of the status quo that they missed God. They missed what God was doing. You don't want to be in their shoes. And perhaps the first, the best, the most essential way for us to move in faith is to repent, to turn, to change, to reorient our lives, to align our lives with God. And so God is always moving, as I said, and he has moved toward you. He's already moved into our world. He has moved in ways to our benefit to our advantage to our eternal salvation and now the ball is as it were in our court amen we are going to be heading to the table this morning to the lord's table and uh, paul urges us to examine ourselves before we receive of the lord's supper and uh, i'm going to give you a few moments this morning um, 
You notice on the cross up here this morning, each week you're going to see uh, another word. And uh, in response to the sermon today, which was on moving in faith, the antithesis of faith, if you will, unbelief. Now, uh, I'm going to give you a few moments of, of quiet and confess what you, to confess whatever unbelief you need to to God. Now, you may believe, let me just say this to help.